Listeners in Man Talks land, and welcome to the Man Talks podcast. My name is Roger Naird, and I'm the director of marketing for Man Talks. And my name is Connor Beaton. I am the founder of Man Talks. Once again, we're super excited to bring you an amazing hour with another amazing individual. The goal of this podcast is to bring you inspiring men and inspiring conversations, and bring you the men that make a difference in this world. And this interview definitely delivers on that. Connor, tell us all about your connection to Andy Zaremba and why you're excited about our interview with him. Absolutely. So. Andy and I met actually when he and his brother, Mike, uh, interviewed me for their podcast, Vancouver Real. They both are the co-founders of Float House here in Vancouver. And after getting to know Andy a little bit and getting to know his journey of being an entrepreneur, being a father, going through these incredible, incredible challenges around fatherhood and entrepreneurship and, you know, just being a man in general in today's society, some of the lessons that he brings are just so invaluable. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible interview. We're sitting here in our fuzzy slippers amongst uh, this amazing float house space. Um, you'll learn all about that. So with that, we're going to pass you on to Andy Zaremba. Yeah, and just a quick note uh, before we before we do pass off to Andrew Zaremba, uh, you might hear some birds in the background. There are some uh, birds. We, we are live on location. We wanted to do something a little bit different and have the ambience of the float house. But those are real birds. They are real birds. They're not real birds. They're not real birds. All right. Thank you. Andy. You've got some living yet to do. I won't give up on you. See these machines can bring All right. So, Andy... Uh, thanks, thanks very much for uh, being a part of the podcast, for the Man Talks podcast. Uh, really great, grateful to have you here. And um, yeah, so just maybe uh, start off by telling us what you do. Well, thank you for having me on, first of all, and thank you for having me at Man Talks. That was an amazing experience. And uh, you guys know, just saying to Roger, it's like, what an amazing event you guys have put together there. It's it's, it's really awesome. Um, your, your talk was amazing. It was very, yeah. very <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So we've actually heard back from a lot of a lot of the people that attended that event, and uh, your talk in particular was very, very inspiring. It was, uh, yeah, it was it was a tough one. I had you to battle up, there for a little bit, right? I opened up and got got pretty emotional. Kind of picked myself up and kept going. So it was an awesome night. Great thing you guys have done there. And for myself, well, I am the co-founder of Float House, and I've done that, of course, with my brother Mike, another Man Talks grad as well. <laughs> and uh, we opened Float House in 2013. It was quite the journey doing that. So that's that's my primary focus right now. I have some you know small side projects like Vancouver Real, our, our podcast that we do. Our website's VancouverReal.tv. Instagram handle and Twitter is just at Andy Zaremba. If anyone wants to follow out there. And for those that have never heard of floating, uh, first of all, why don't you describe where we're sitting right now? We're actually in one of your float house locations in Gastown, but maybe maybe give give the listeners an idea of what floating is. Well, floating, or as it's commonly known as sensory deprivation, is a practice where you go into an enclosed environment and there's literally no sight, no sound, minimal tactile sensation. And there is 10 inches of water. So it's, it's basically like a giant closet. And the water is super saturated with 900 pounds of Epsom salt. So it's extremely buoyant. Kind of like the Dead Sea. And the water is also heated to 93.5 degrees, which is the same temperature of the surface of your skin. So it becomes skin receptor neutral. So you know, being completely black, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything. You can't really feel anything where the water starts and ends. And you're floating. 
So the goal of it, like sensory deprivation applies, is to reduce the amount of sensory input coming into your body, which can generate all sorts of different altered states of consciousness, in particular uh, theta state. Now, when I say sensory deprivation, uh, that's kind of an inaccurate term. The scientific acronym for it would be REST, so it would be Restricted Environmental Stimulus Therapy. But we go ahead and call it uh, sensory deprivation simply because it's more commonly known that way. Or we like to call it floating because it's kind of friendly. You know, it's not as scary as sensory deprivation. It's And that is a bit of a hurdle. When people hear that word, they're like, isn't that a form of torture? <laughs> and I'm like, actually... It, Probably could be, but not what we do, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, they have done crazy things when you put people in solitary confinement, right. and that is considered, you know, a form of torture. Of course, we are the furth- furthest thing from that, I should say that right away. Yeah. And, it's uh, a complete opposite. It's, it's, it's a complete opposite. In fact, uh, it induces very deep relaxation and meditative kind of mm. states. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the, I, I mean, I love the way you describe floating because... I had done a lot of, and actually before I even met you and, and Mike, I had done a lot of like yoga and you know, good spiritual practice, meditation daily. Um, and I actually had become a member at Flow House before I even met awesome. you guys, which was which was kind of like a funny thing. So then when you asked me to be on your podcast, I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, but my first experience, and I just kind of wanted to touch on this because my first experience of, of floating for anybody that's out there that's listening that... Um, does have a meditation practice, or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't even have a meditation practice. Floating is such a cool experience, and I actually had no idea what to expect. I was a little concerned about like, oh, I'm going to go into this tank, and it's going to be like, I won't be able to see anything, and like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Yeah. And I came out of that experience really, all of my senses were heightened. All of them. Like I, I, it was such a, like such an incredible experience to be a part of, and it actually does feel like you're floating. And then when I came out of there, I felt like everything was clear to see. Everything sounded sharper. Like it was yeah. just. Yeah. But what happens there is your 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 nervous system is looking to grasp onto something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite idea. Of when you you know when you put on your headphones, you blast music really loud, and then everything's really quiet. You can't really hear anything. It's kind of the opposite of that. So when you're in the tank, your your body's kind of cranking up its nervous system, looking for something to, to latch onto. So when you come out, you you hear everything more vividly. You see things uh, more vividly. Uh, you're generally in a more sensitive state. And one of my favorite things to do after a float is literally just go for a walk wherever I happen to be. If I'm in Kits or down to the beach or up in Gastown, just walk through Gastown and just observe yeah. what's going on around you. And it is like a circus in Gastown, obviously. Yeah. And some people say, oh, well, it's not really relaxing, is it? I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. And you're just kind of taking in that experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and as it relates to uh, meditation, it is just, you know, really a different form of meditation. Mm-hmm. So meditation is meditation. And there's different, you could say there's different goals behind meditation. And, you know, if you're doing traditional seated meditation, you're sitting in a park, you're observing things, you're observing sounds, you're observing sensations, and you're kind of making note of those things and letting them go. And the idea is to not hang on to those things, not becoming attached to thoughts, becoming attached to sensation. Now, the tank uh, is actually great because it blocks out a lot of those distractions. So if you're the type that's easily distracted, if you're meditating and you have your phone right beside you and you're constantly looking at your Twitter or whatever it is <laughs> in between, that, you know, or it's buzzing, you're going to be distracted. Right. And the tank, we eliminate all that. So... Just everything just that it's just you and your mind. So everything that you're feeling or experiencing there is literally generated by you, mm. and you and it becomes really, really aware. You become very aware of that very quickly, or at least some people do. 
that yeah. you're creating any kind of anxiety you might be feeling or any kind of relaxation, any kind of, whatever emotional response you might have or lack of emotional response, that's right. all coming from in you. The tank is an inanimate object, yeah. right? It doesn't care what you feel. Yeah. It's just, it's just there. Now there's, you know, certain challenges with the tank. You have to, it's, there's a bit of an art to floating to not getting salt water in your eyes and dealing with little stings on your skin. But once you get past all that stuff, anything else that happens is kind of, it's really just reflection of what's going on inside of you. The, the, the first time I went and used the tank, I had um, I, an amazing experience. And in fact, I went into the tank, came out, came into the, and for those that have never been into the gas tank location, there's a, there's a bit of a sort of a relaxation area where you grab a cup of tea, sit in your bathroom, read a book. But what I did was my mind immediately pulled out my, I pulled out my notebook, pulled out a pen, and I wrote a letter to somebody that I have been putting off writing a letter to. I needed, I needed closure. Nice. I needed closure, and, and yeah. I, I almost did it automatically without even thinking. It just immediately opened my bag, brought out the book, some automatic writing, out some paper, did some yeah. automatic writing, and I thank you for that because mm. I never would. I actually, I don't know if I ever would have. Well, done that. that's really don't thank me. Yeah. You should thank yourself for that because uh, we didn't do that. You did that. You know, and can't that's, 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 I can't do it in my bathtub. Well, <laughs> people have tried, believe it or not. People have tried to do it in their bathtub. And, you know, we get that's one of the complaints we'll get online sometimes. And people will be like, well, can't I just put a bunch of Epsom salts in my bathtub right. and float in there? I'm like, well, <laughs> you could, yeah. but then you're going to have to dump 600 pounds of Epsom salts down the drain. And you're going to yeah. be bumping into the sides and yeah. all sorts of headaches. And, yeah. you know, just come with us, you know, 49 <laughs> bucks and you're good. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, the main, the main point of, of our podcast for Man Talks here is men making a difference. And I think just out of Roger's story here, like you, it's very clear that you are making a difference in the world through this space, right? This is kind of like a vehicle of, of transformation in some way, shape, or form. So I'm, I'm actually really curious, like what made you and your brother Mike actually want to start Float House? And that's a great question. You know, when you're going into any kind of business venture, you should really know why you're getting into that. Mm. You know, there, there's motivations that are monetary, and of course, th that's okay if you're going in it to make money. That's we all need money to live in this society. But Mike and I had a bigger why than that, and it is a tool of transformation. And then there's a whole I like to call it a sphere. You know, people might call it. I'm not sure what they would call it. New agey stuff. I don't like that term because there's so many negative connotations around that. But uh, Yoga, meditation, I would say even uh, psychedelic medicines, floating, uh, all these things, personal development classes to an extent as well. All these means of introspection uh, are, are so important. And floating is just another modality. It's another tool in your tool belt. You know? And it's not going to be for everybody. And for some people, that's what they want to do. You know, if, you're, if you're looking for a great place to reflect on your life and a place where you can grow and come out and, and learn something about yourself, a, a float tank could be a great place to do that. But if you know you're someone who you know, for example, Mark Emery. Mark Emery's uh, just down at the cannabis culture down there. We talked to him. He's got a prison, and we're like, well, you know, want to come on the podcast? He's like, sure, we'll do a podcast eventually. I'm like, awesome. He's kind of a hard guy to book, but he. Uh, I'm like, you want to come for a float? And he's, he's like, oh, I can't go in there. I'm like, why? It's relaxing. You're, you're no problem. It's gonna be great for you. You know. He's like, when you spent four years in a, in a cage. Right. He's like, you're kind of, uh, you got problems with confined spaces. I'm like, fair enough. Yeah. Can't argue that one. Never saw right? that coming. <laughs> exactly. And, um, so, 
you know, again, it's not going to be for everybody, but it is that tool. And people like, you know, we're getting to the point now where Mike and I call it stacking modalities, right? Mm. So you're combining different activities. For example, I love to go do a really good hard power yoga class and then come in for a float. I think that's an amazing combination. You get all that energy out of your body. You feel good. Your body's, you know, energy's moving. You feel less pain in your body. And you come in and just relax and extend that savasana for uh, another 90 minutes. And that's a fantastic way to do it. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So really, you guys started it because you wanted on some level to make a difference in people's lives and give them that space to tap into their inner self. I think that that movement's kind of happening already. Mm. And this again, this is one of the tools. So uh, we are contributing to that. And that's how I, I, I see our role right now. And uh, what that is, is a, it's a complicated question. And that could mean something different to everybody. Mm. But I think we could probably agree that, in a sense, it's raising the consciousness of humanity to a different level in a different way. In some way, we're looking people. I think there's a lot of people out there uh, that are looking for honesty and they're looking for integrity, especially in our leaders. And I think that there's a whole group of people now that are just sick of the, the nonsense that's going on by the people who are running the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's happening all the time. And I can't even imagine for for me to start going and criticizing politicians. I'm like. I don't know probably a tenth of what they do in their day, maybe even less than that. But you really have to start questioning some of the things that are going on. And I think there's a, there's a real need for truth and honesty and higher consciousness to, to kind of evolve through humanity in a sense to try to make the world a better place, which is always kind of the goal, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. When you spoke at our man talks, um, one of the things that you said was that Challenges are along your path for you to move through. It's in the darkest times that you, that you are led towards and through exactly what you need to face to become your greatest version of yourself. What did you mean when you, when you said that? That I think that it's impossible to go through this life without any challenges. You know, life is going to life is going to throw you curveballs if you like it or not. You can plan five years ahead. You can write. You can put down a vision board. You can do all these different things. But then something unexpected is going to happen. Mm. You might lose a friend. You might get really sick yourself. Uh, who, who knows? Any, anything can happen. Natural disasters. And I really do think that when we have those challenges, when you move, move through those challenges, that's when you're going to grow the most as a human being. You're going to learn so much about yourself. And there's not necessarily any right or wrong reaction, but when you're going through those challenges, you know, how do you react to those challenges? Are you running away from them? Are you just avoiding them altogether in your life? Or are you kind of meeting them head on and working through them and, and, and kind of uh, for the, maybe battling your way through it a little bit to come out the other end? And when you go through those challenges, it, it kind of, well, for one, it's going to dull the other challenges in your life. When you go through something that's really, really tough, well, you know, those, those stressors that come from work might not be as important anymore, you know, and you get a bigger perspective on your life. So I, I think, I think that's what I mean by it. That's fantastic. I think, um, it, it's like, the, honestly, like the perfect segue for what I, the question that I wanted to ask. Perfect. You know, one of the things that when I work with the speakers who are going to come and talk at Man Talks and, and be at our events, one of the things that I really like to hone in on are those, I call them defining moments, like your defining moments in life. And generally those defining moments, and this is again a generalization, but generally those defining moments are something that has a huge challenge that you face or adversity that you face in your life. And, you know, you end up working through it and come out the other side, a stronger and better person. And I would love to 
to kind of, uh, I mean, I know a couple of your defining moments in your life and, and I think that they are extremely powerful. And I know that there's probably some, some men and, and maybe women that are, that are out there that are listening to this that have gone through something similar. So, you know, I, I guess my question to you is, can you share one of your defining moments with us, one or two of them with us and, and kind of talk about maybe how you moved through that space, whether it's something that you went through personally or something that, that you went through through your family or through your business? There's two things, obviously, and I think you know both of them. Yeah. And uh, the first one is what I spoke about on Man Talks, for sure, and that was the birth of my daughter. And that, well, the truth be told, I'm still in that. And, it's, and it is still that defining moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second would be uh, opening Float House and where that's taken us. But I'll start with uh, with my daughter. And, you know, I'm very open about what happened. And, uh, you know, she, my daughter was in an unexpected pregnancy. And there's a lot of stress and things and conversations that happen when those things, when an uh, unexpected pregnancy comes up. And then on top of that, uh, we had a very traumatic birth experience. And we were actually out of the country. And... My daughter was born premature by an emergency C-section. Uh, I'm not sure if it's called a disease, but this thing called eclampsia, which basically you, the woman is forced to have the child or it will kill her. So they did an emergency C-section. We were in the Cayman Islands, and unfortunately they didn't have the proper medical equipment on that particular island, and we were stuck there for a while. And she's when my daughter was born, Ella, she was uh, 1.9 pounds. She's a really tiny, tiny thing. Wow. And... It's really quite a miracle that she has survived. If, if, if I can get anything from that, like, it's the closest thing I've personally witnessed in my life to a living, breathing miracle. I mean, the odds were so stacked against her. She could have quit so many times throughout her life, uh, throughout, throughout her life up to this point. I mean, now she's much more stable and there's other challenges, but I feel like she's meant to be here for whatever reason. I don't really know what that reason is yet. Maybe it was just to change my life. You know, when, you know, I, I definitely had my priorities shift when that happened. You know, before I was primarily living for myself, I would say. You know, I was very big into, you know, I, t- typical stuff, I guess. Uh, you know, going to the gym, traveling, having a good time, you know, doing my own kind of interests. But when she was born, all of a sudden I had this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Like now it's like this little creature is totally dependent on me. <laughs> and really it's up to me how she kind of turns out, you know, and that's a huge responsibility. And then on top of that, with all the medical challenge we faced, it, it definitely gave me a whole new perspective on, on life in general. And I see things much differently now than I used to, you know, before in turn, you know, I was very, I'd say material, material focused. And now I'm, I'm definitely more family oriented, relationship oriented, and I'm doing a lot more to try to build those relationships. And I, and I think the birth of my daughter was one of the, the biggest catalysts for change in my life. And it's funny because sometimes we need, we need to get rocked. You know, we need to, we need something traumatic to happen for us to kind of get, kick in the ass and wake up and be like, hey, you know, this like, is your life, like right? Like you said, like, you know, those challenges come along that you have to move through. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I chose to move through it. And I believe, you know, one thing, if I'm happy, you could say I'm very satisfied about my life is how I've handled that situation from the moment I found out my ex was pregnant to now. And I've really uh, felt like I've, I, I believe I've had a high degree of integrity with how I've handled that situation. Mm. You know, and that's my own perspective, but that's trying to look at it as objectively as I can. 
So the second thing would be also opening float house. Mm. And that was a huge challenge. Like we, we came from a small business background, so we had a little bit of bit, uh, business experience there, but we, uh, to do an entrepreneurial venture is something that's just going to stretch your boundaries in so many different ways. Right. So? Well, man talks for one. <laughs> like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm, I'm like the, the, the yeah. Well, it's, it's part of it. Well, just the be able, you, yeah. you are, and, yeah. and you are an agent of change and you know that, and you're, you're creating that in Thank your own you. life and in our city. Um, I tried doing Toastmasters back in 2011. Granted, I was, you know, still in a lot of turmoil with my daughter and all that kind of stuff, and I was trying to do it, but I, I couldn't do it. I, uh, I literally had my icebreaker speech scheduled, and when it was my turn, I literally walked out of the room and never came back. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's amazing. So, um, have you gone back? Or was yeah. That, or was so I, I went back to Toastmasters, and this is after my daughter. Well, sorry, after my daughter, obviously, and uh, after Float House. And it's amazing when you, this is kind of going into the entrepreneurial side, uh, when you become an entrepreneur, you know, you don't have a corporate team behind you. Right. You do everything. Okay. <laughs> so I, I partially had to do it because of necessity. It's part of promoting Float House, becoming a competent public speaker. Mm. And just the fact that I was able to get up there and deliver a speech and push myself that way is just one little gem that I got from opening Float House. Mm. And not to mention, you know, the connections I've made. I mean, we it's amazing the doors that have opened for us because we've done something. And and I think the reason Float House has kind of done that for us is that it's a very unique idea. Mm. You know, one thing I'm proud about is it's not necessarily, not that I'm putting these things down, but it's not a coffee shop. It's yep. not a bar. It's not a restaurant. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. And there's amazing examples of all of those in those in the city. Right. But when I do business in the future, I want to do something that's completely unique, completely original, that's something something that's going to challenge me. And But also, you're also challenging uh, <clears throat> us. I mean, you're challenging the community. 100%. This is, this is and, a new, and this a new concept. Mike and I talk about that a lot. And... You know, floating is very counterculture right now to the to, to the mainstream North American public. Yeah. Okay. So, what is the mainstream North American public? What what I call it, the mainstreamers. You know, these are your and this again, not criticizing, but just making an observation. Uh, they're the ones that are you know they're the kind of nine to five, uh, go home on the weekends. You know, um, you know, go to your sporting event. You know, drink your beer, go to a restaurant, go on vacation. And and that you know, and again, I'm not criticizing, but I'm saying that's kind of what they are in a nutshell. You know, coffee, for example, this is a drug. We have to be clear that ca- caffeine is a powerful drug. I don't know we'd be as productive in North America if we didn't have coffee. So. Float house is yeah. <laughs> oh, well, for a couple of days until yeah, until exactly. the withdrawal goes away. Yeah, and every yeah. time I quit coffee, I get terrible withdrawal. Oh, no. So, yeah. um, just, and I've quit I, I've, yeah. I've quit coffee like I don't know five six times, <laughs> and I'm back as you can see. Yeah. Um, so, float house is very counterculture in the way that we're telling people to slow down, take some time for yourself, become introspective, go inside. For the most part, in North American culture, we are looking outwardly. We're very outwardly focused, which is a good thing, but I think a lot of the times we're looking for happiness from external sources. Mm. So we're chasing that promotion. We're chasing that car. We're chasing money. We're chasing status, whatever it happens to be. And the problem when chasing those material things is that it's very short-lived. 
Okay. Especially when it's material. Cause we know, you know, deep down at your core that you can't take it with you. <laughs> no matter how much you accumulate in your life, you can't take it with you. All right. So we are very much against the norm. We're saying, no, you know, you're going to go in there, but we're going to lock you in a box for 90 minutes and you're going to think about your life. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, we have some mixed responses to that. <laughs> some people dive in and they love it. Yeah. We have our don't early dive, adopters. Don't dive in. Don't literally dive in. Yeah. But we, we have some great early adopters that are all about it and great supporters. And, you know, they're, they're active on social media talking mm-hmm. about it awesome. because, and they're bringing in their friends. You got to try this so thing, cute. you know. Then we have people on the complete other end of the spectrum that would never get in if their life depended on it. Yeah. Or I, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but they just refuse to, get, they refuse to do it. Yeah. You know, I have family friends that think what we're doing is pretty weird. And they're people that have been in my life for a long, long time. And in fact, there's one in particular, he's a ex, you know, great guy, a fun guy to be around, love him. He's ex uh, Ontario Provincial Police, retired now. And he's just like, I won't do it. Won't do it. It, I I feel like it challenges his something too much. And when you challenge a belief system in something, you're going to get a very energetic response. And, And he would come out of his way several times. You know, I was on a vacation with him a little while ago, and he would come up his way to talk about it, and we'd start going into it and just telling our truth, you know. And he just didn't want it. What all the whole float house thing that we're selling, mindfulness, you know, uh, going inside, being introspective. Um, he didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think that's where our, you know, our our core values between Man Talks and Flo- Float House is is very much aligned. Like we are challenging the status quo with some of the conversations that we're having at, at the events and, you know, getting men to really think differently about who they are and how they show up in the world and what their actual role is within society and, and giving them examples of men like yourself who, who are shaking it up, who are doing something different, who have found a way to be of contribution to other people's lives and still be an entrepreneur and, and a very successful one. So, you, you know, kudos to you for doing that. I actually just kind of want to take the conversation back a step because I really, I really feel like the conversation around, and, and I just wanted to thank you first and foremost for, you know, for being honest and for being authentic and for being vulnerable and open enough to talk about your daughter and, and to talk about that experience. And, you know, I'm not even a father and then your conversation around it is so powerful and, and it, it moved me and it really made me think about how would I handle that situation? What would I do? How would I show up as a man? How would I show up in that situation? And, you know, I think that there's a lot of guys that go through an experience of either getting a woman pregnant and, you know, whether she keeps the baby or not, whether she has an abortion or, or she keeps the baby, a lot of guys don't talk about that experience. You know, a lot of guys keep it sort of bottled up. It's like, oh, I got this woman pregnant. No big deal. And they kind of slough it off, you know? And it's just like, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's you know, she had a miscarriage. She's not keeping it. And, and the, as a man, generally, and this is a, a little bit of a generalization, but I see this a lot with the men that I work with is that they, this circumstance happens and then they kind of push it aside and they push it down because they feel shamed for any, any sort of like feelings or emotions that come up. It's like, oh, I shouldn't feel guilty about this happening. Or I shouldn't feel sad that, you know, she lost the baby or I shouldn't feel so I should just be like this, you know, protector and, and not show any emotions whatsoever. And it's it's so detrimental because then they end up carrying around this guilt and this shame with them. 
And, you know, for you to, to kind of talk about it openly and honestly, I mean, it sounds like that was one of the biggest catalysts for helping you kind of move through it was just being honest with yourself and the people around you about what was actually going on. Definitely. Definitely. You know, when you have an unexpected pregnancy, especially with someone who you're not married to, especially with someone who you don't see yourself being with for the rest of your life, there's a lot of uh, conversations and decisions that have to be made. And some of those decisions get made for you. You know, again, I've, I've moved past that whole part, but there is that element of, you know, I didn't have control over the fact that she was going to keep my daughter. Now, I have to always say this, of course, that I love my daughter so much and I'm, I would never go back. And I've said that before, even after all the hardships I went through with the birth and in the continued, all, all the challenges we have, I would still not go back. I would still do it again. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even change it. Well, maybe I would change a few things, but for the most part, if, it, if I was told it had to be the exact same way, knowing what I know now, I would do it. But you know, there are some decisions that can get made for you. In my situation, I, I definitely felt like that was the case. And uh, I felt very powerless because of it. I did hold a lot of resentment for a while because it was uh, a life-changing decision that was made for me. Mm. And now I got put in that situation. I'm, there's going to be a child out there that is now mine. So what am I going to do? Okay, so what are my options? Well, there's a lot of deadbeat dads out there. That's one thing. And I can tell you right now, when you start dealing with the courts and legal systems and, and things like that, I have a different understanding of why there might be, because everything and this is everything is geared around protecting the female. Everything mm -hmm. in terms of that kind of stuff. So, and and rightfully so in most cases, I would say. But then sometimes you got somebody who is willing to do the right thing, but they're being pushed in and pulled in different directions and, and told what to do. And a lot of it wasn't my choice, right? But I still decided I, for myself, all I can do is ever speak for myself. And that is that I believe I did was what was the right thing. And uh, I don't think I could go through my life knowing that I had a child that I wasn't around for. I didn't want her growing up and being like, oh, my dad, whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever the reason, because there are some divorces, there are some separations that happen that it's probably a good thing that they're separated, mm, right? Yeah. And we are separated from from uh, separated from her mother, but I'm I'm still really glad that I'm I'm in her life, and I don't think I could do it any other way. I think that I uh, I, I have to do it that way. I don't know why I have this overwhelming sense of uh, responsibility towards mm. my daughter, and I'm doing that in a way that it can be difficult at times because you know her mother is a as a human being and it's valuable it has lots of past pains and all sorts of stuff like that so uh you know it, it's difficult dealing with people who i was friends with who are her who were her friends and uh and, and and sometimes you start getting caught up in what are they thinking about me what are they saying about me oh, right. is she saying bad things about me which she has yeah before i know yeah. she has and there's been some pretty nasty stuff and that's tough and uh, you know i kind of wanted to like First off, you know, you, you kind of talked about responsibility and, account and accountability there, right? And you said, I, I really felt a responsibility for that. And, you know, I think part of like the, the masculine energy is we, we do generally want to provide for people or, you know, people that we love and not in a sense of like, I want to provide for them monetarily, 
right? It, it can be a providing of like emotional security. It can be a providing of sure. you know intellectual security or yeah. whatever the whatever the case may be is, and yeah. that brings it into uh, you know I'd like to protect. And I think it's it's so incredible that you just sort of like fundamentally dropped into that, and you dropped into that space of okay here's this human being who's going to be born and that might be out of my control. I actually, I have no control over whether or not this child's going to be born. And you still decided to take, take action anyways and, and be accountable for, for the, the sort of like past actions and what was happening, even though it's out of your control. So, you know, I think that that's pretty incredible. I think what I want to ask you on that note is maybe, because I'm sure for some of the listeners out there that have gone through the situation of, you know, whether they've, lost a lost a child through a miscarriage and you know have really struggled to deal with it or whether they've you know gotten somebody pregnant and, and they the partner has decided to have an abortion or or not have an abortion in this mm-hmm. case or and, and keep the child and, and whatever whatever this this is the decision may be between the between the couple like how did you kind of mentally work through that like you mentioned I looked at the situation and I decided this is what I want to do. How did you sort of like emotionally work through that? Because it sounds like there was a lot of stuff in there, um, and and that you know that's a that's a lot to handle. And I think a lot of men kind of downplay it. And sure. Did, and did you lean on anybody, or did you do this all on your own? Mm. Um, I say my brother was was there quite a bit, uh, but. Again, I, I didn't I didn't lean on anybody too too much, and I and I did go through quite a bit of it alone. Uh, I had a, a core group of friends that you know when you talk to guys, you're not gonna for the most part you're not gonna go that deep with them into these kind of things. So unless, how did I handle unless you're here, unless you're here <laughs> yeah, or at man talks or, or, or you finish a float yeah. and you're like oh, I just want to tell you everything. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, there are there are outlets now. Thank yeah, God for that, right? Yes. But how did I deal with it emotionally? I've been on this kind of personal development kick for a long time. So I've been doing lots of personal development work and uh, doing a lot of readings. And again, I, you know, in my man talks, I spoke about, you know, Eckhart Tolle and I don't, I don't like to talk to him about him. Like he's some kind of uh, deity or someone you should follow. I more like to talk about what he taught, you know, presence, living in the present moment. And it's not saying to run away from your emotions. It's saying, you know, be with your emotions, Just mm-hmm. be with it. And it's okay that you're, you're with it. And, and when you start going through something negative or what you perceive to be as negative, just, just sit there and be with it and be with it for a little bit. And, uh, I find more often than not, you know, you take some deep breaths and you, and you, uh, you just move through that for a few minutes and for the most part it kind of passes, Yeah, you know, and it's like any kind of idea where we're, we're worrying about, future events or uh, thinking about past ones that we can't change, you know, how long are you going to dwell on those things? The future events, there is no guarantee that those future events are going to take place. Totally. And there's nothing you can do about the past ones. You can learn from it. That's pretty much it. You can't change what happened. So to sit there and dwell on past events or uh, worry about future ones is really a, a big waste of your time. It mm-hmm. really is. I mean, and that's not to say not to go out there and plan and do things and, and uh, you know, do whatever you want to do in your life and grow a business or have a family or anything. You can do all of those things. It's kind, it's of, just, it's kind of detaching yourself yeah. from yeah. maybe identifying with it so much. And then, again, once you, once you, kind of, once you do that, those negative emotions, they, they just don't hang around. When you're in the present moment and you realize, I'm sitting here in a chair and I'm breathing the air and I'm healthy as far as I can tell and I'm having this great conversation with two really great guys. I mean, 
my life's pretty good right now. Right. I mean, how long am I going to stay upset for? And it's kind of that emotional intelligence, I think, that's coming through there. A little yeah. Bit. And that's, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, I think it's funny because the sort of our, our instinct reaction, that sort of like reptilian reaction that we have as men is to like fight. Right. And so this like emotion will come up that we think or perceive that we shouldn't have something shitty is happening to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we want to fight it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in what you're saying, it's, it's, it's magnificent because it's so simple and yet it's so accurate is, is to look at something and say, I don't want to feel this way. And instead of fighting that to just, just allow it and just let it be and, yeah. and to actually, and to actually sit with it and, and, yeah. Well, what you resist persists. I think that's the, yeah, the saying, right? Is, yeah. Why is that? Well, you're you're sitting there thinking about the thing that's making you upset, right. right? So, and of course, that's not to say that there aren't worries that could happen in the future. But the truth be told is, you don't know. There's no guarantee that you're even going to get there, anyways. Yeah. So to to ruin the present moment that you're in right now is quite a waste, I think. Yeah, it's totally true. It's um, I mean, Alan Watts has this great book and. Um, it's all about the law of reversed effort. And it's that exact con- concept of what you resist persists. And it's, it's so, so magnificent. It's just such a wonderful book. Um, it's called the law of, or the, the wisdom of insecurity, the wisdom, wisdom of insecurity. And it's just brilliant. It, I should it check that one out. Digs, yeah. Digs we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Well. Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. Most of my Alan Watts comes from my, my buddy, uh, Omed, who runs Omega Point. He does a lot of Alan Watts inspirational videos. There's great stuff. It's awesome. Cool. So most of my Alan Watts teachings comes from videos, but yeah, no, cool. he's definitely got a lot of great things to say. So, um, on that note, um, of Alan Watts, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just kind of curious, like, do you have a, a regular meditation practice and, and you know, what, what are some of your best practices in these times, like besides sort of noticing it and letting it be like, you know, deep, do, do you write? Do you, I mean, outside of floating, like, do you have a meditation practice? Do you write, do you journal? What are some of your best practices to keep you at, at your best? And, and if you do meditate, why? I definitely, floating is where I do the, the bulk of my meditation. How many times a week do you do? I average at least once, at least once or twice a week. Uh, on a good week, twice is, is, uh, is what I like to get in there. I'll also do uh, a meditation, a form of meditation in yoga. When you're doing yoga correctly, I'm not, well, who's to say what's correct and who, what's not, but when you're kind of bringing that intention to it where you're, you're breathing, you're moving, and uh, you're being really present in your body, it becomes a very meditative experience. I, I like to get into nature, which is a pretty common theme around here. People love getting into nature. I actually saw your post. that was pretty awesome, that, that pic you took there. Uh, I'll go anywhere. You know, I'll, I'll sit in English Bay, sit on a bench. I go to Kate's Park quite a bit. And uh, just being outside in vast open spaces, I think, uh, really helps calm you down. Getting out of the city, getting away from so many people, getting away from all the, the constant stimulus here in some form really help. I, uh, I I do write more now than I ever have before. And a lot of that is actually just kind of developing ideas on things that I want to speak about. Mm. And uh, so I'll, I'll kind of journal. And I'll also, uh, I started doing, well, what, what's the word we use for it? Automatic writing. Mm. Where you just basically write and you don't think too much about it. And you just write down whatever, you yeah. know. And a lot of times that ends up be- being future ambitions or what I'd like, where I'd like to go with my life. And uh, so I'll just write, right? And they say, you know, they say with that kind of thing, don't think about it too much. Just write, and whatever comes to you, let it let it kind of flow through you. You know, I recently started that exact practice every morning, and it's from the book The Artist's Way. 
by uh, Cameron. Yeah. I think your last name's Cameron. And yeah, it's it's three pages of just automatic writing, and the first page is just nothing. It's just crap. And even I mean, even if you have nothing to say, you're literally writing. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. I have nothing. Yeah. It's unbelievable where it, it gets you to because it's almost like what needs to come out just squeezes its way to the front. You know, it's, right. It's fantastic. And who knows what that is? Yeah, you no, know? you don't know until it comes out. <laughs> well, or I, I mean, where is it coming from? You know, exactly. is it coming from? You know, when they say it's, you know, you're, you're whatever channeling something. I don't know. You yeah. see, when it comes to the whole spiritual thing, right. I'm, 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 I'm definitely more on the practical side uh, mm. of things. But I think there's a lot you can learn from that, like that sphere. Mm. Um, you know, one thing I think is a bit of a disservice, really, is uh, some of these people who are out in the media, like, uh, well, I don't, I don't know how much trouble that could mean by talking about Deepak Chopra, for example. He's going on CNN and, and, you know, debating people and saying ridiculous stuff. And, of course, it's going to give spirituality that bad name. It's like that, you're, you're talking complete nonsense, you know. Yeah. But there is that element that's kind of a more pure message. Or, or guys like, you know, you have guys like Bikram, you know. This guy's, an, this guy's a maniac. He's a maniac, you know. He, he, and he's calling himself, like, like a messiah. And he's like, I'm going to heal you through doing my practice. And... It, me, so so when, when people start look, looking into spirituality, they're going to find these kind of guys out there, and they're doing such a great disservice to the whole thing, really. I mean, really, you're not, you're not boasting about how spiritual you are if you are spiritual, which yeah. is kind of the, a weird thing, the, right? one, like, Buddhist monk that went out there and was like, sure. I am the most enlightened person you have ever fucking met. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll show you the way. Follow me, yeah. right? But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that's 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 it really. I mean I float. Um, well, I'm gonna I'll be more candid about something else as well. I don't know if this is appropriate for your audience or not, but I find that fly. using cannabis strategically really helps with that. I find that it increases my sensitivity and awareness. It makes me extremely yes. introspective. Uh, I find that helps, and of course uh, psychedelic use. <laughs> and I find uh, psilocybin is quite a good one for that. And of course, ayahuasca. And I've only done ayahuasca once, right. uh, and I plan to do more of that. But I find that those psychedelics is, is for me, anyways, is like taking uh, an honesty pill. You get really, really honest about what's going on for you. And I should put a little disclaimer in here when speaking about that. If you know, I'm definitely not saying go out and do a bunch of psychedelics because that's really <laughs> irresponsible. <laughs> Thank, you um, Thank you. Yeah, it's really. Yeah. yeah, it's very, or, or at least myself, anyways, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, if if, if you, it, it can be a great tool. You know, if you if you happen to be on some kind of uh, medication from some kind of mental illness, not for you. If you have a predisposition to schizophrenia, not for you. But it can be a very valuable tool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's why uh, groups like MAPS. Do you guys know who MAPS is? Oh, I've heard of it. So, uh, multiple disciplinary association for psychedelic studies, and what they're doing now is researching the clinical uses of. Well, first they're doing uh, MDMA. And then they're going to be doing uh, psilocybin after that. Right now, they're using MDMA uh, in clinical trials actually in Vancouver, and they're using them to treat soldiers who have PTSD, and they're having great, yeah. great results with it. Yeah, I've read some of those studies, actually. It's, it's pretty interesting to kind of see what, what kind of progress the, the soldiers can actually make with, after having had the experience to move through that, the PTSD experience. Yeah. And, and again, those people are professionals doing that in controlled environments. And it's yeah. not something you should probably go experiment with on your own. Yeah. Although I'm sure people will. 
you know, it's interesting what kind of tools are out there. And I think uh, taking an honest look at those tools and not being worrying about the stigma so much around them. Yes, yes, they are illegal. They are illegal things uh, to, to do. But I think that they should be looked at. Anyways. Yeah, I think the, the interesting part is that we've almost, and not, and not we here on Mantox, obviously, but, <laughs> you know, as a society, almost, you know, made those things wrong from the place of not understanding them whatsoever. Very and, taboo. Yeah, very taboo. And it's, and it's interesting to see these types of organizations that are now experimenting with them to understand them. For, for the sole purpose of being like, is this really actually detrimental to our human experience or or can it enhance it or can it help us in some way, shape or form? And I think that that's, that's pretty much the, the exceptional part there is that that's happening. Yeah, and I think that it's, right now it's, it's great that we have an organization that's headed up by Rick Doblin. These these people are, are very, very smart people. They're doing it the right way. They're going about, they're going through the FDA to do right. it, uh, which is the right way to do it. I mean, I think what happened in the 60s was a good starting <laughs> point but then look at the reaction. Okay, 1968, Richard Nixon comes on and announces the war on drugs. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened in the 60s really scared the shit out of like the, the status quo. Yeah. You know, I, I think that when they see a bunch of hippies dancing around in a park, you know, that doesn't really bold well for your, your GDP, you know, yeah. or what could happen yeah. if these things are legalized. And on, on top of that, basically the reaction was making them all illegal. Which of course brought on the war on drugs, which which is really questionable when when they start doing that, and it gave police a lot of powers. And of course, when the war on drugs hit, that's when prison populations skyrocketed and kind of created this uh, you know prison system, for profit prisons essentially, yeah. right? Privatized prisons, and it's basically fueled by that. And it's a whole ball of wax, which I'm I'm glad to see is finally crumbling. I yeah. think that there's been some really great work done in those areas with guys like. Um, Adam Scorgi. Uh, Adam Scorgi made a, another great documentary called The Culture High. Mm-hmm. And it really shows and illustrates exactly, well, I guess corruption, unfairness of the whole cannabis prohibition and why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And he's highlighted that really well. And I think because of people like him and bringing it to the forefront and just the internet, the freedom of information. Yeah. You know, anybody can, you know, who knows who's going to hear this podcast. Um, and it's really hard. It's a lot harder now to hide the truth than it, than it ever has been before. Yeah. You know, and we've seen that with like people like Edward Snowden and Julian Assange and all these other people who are now whistleblowers. But right. and you got to, you know, there's definitely lots of debate around those characters and what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it does show you that, uh, you know, it's going to be really hard to hide secrets in the future. Yeah. And, they, and the interesting thing about those types of things is that they've come from a spiritual background. Right. Like you look at something like ayahuasca, you know, that's generally led from by a shaman and it's in a safe environment and it's for a specific reason to bring you on this really cool journey and it's healing it's healing it's healing so in peru for example it is a sacred plant it's legal in fact it's it's a sacred plant and it is is welcome now unfortunately like with a lot of things with with tourism you're going to get the bad side of that as well you know, you're going to get shady characters offering it to you on the side of a road. And you probably <laughs> shouldn't go do ayahuasca with them. Yeah. But there are centers that this is what they do. And right. they do it very responsibly. And they take care of you. And they know how to handle people. They screen people so they're not, if you are predisposed to, say, schizophrenia, that you're not going down there. And, and uh, you know, not that, uh, apparently, from what I understand, it won't actually make you schizophrenic but if you could be schizophrenic it could increase the onset yeah. of it yeah. and, and a lot of i mean even like personal development there's some personal development programs oh, yeah. out there that actually 
warn you that if you are schizophrenic that the program is not for you and right. they, they'll warn you that if you could be schizophrenic that it could trigger you so i mean it's, 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 it's so similar stuff right experience. and you can't make you know personal development classes illegal yeah you know you can't do that i just i took one uh, myself uh last year and it was a big part of my year last year and it was called uh psi seminars mm. let me tell you it, it rocked my world it definitely <laughs> did it definitely it, you know and there's a lot of con there's some controversy around those kind of things but um for the most part, it was a very positive experience, and for the most part, it helps a lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there was a disclaimer. If you're on any kind of uh, antidepressant medication, this is probably not the course for you. Yeah. And rightfully so, because I got to say, when I was there, they they, uh, they go into you pretty hard, and they make you take a real honest look at your life. Yeah. Um, and if you're not in a relatively stable place, you could come out of there, you know, a little yeah. troubled, potentially, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Um I mean, on the note of, of sort of like the, the shaman experience and then on the, on the note of, you know, some of these personal growth and personal development experiences, really a lot of these exist because we in some way are looking for like a role model, you know, and especially as men, I see so many men that are looking for a role model or don't have one and don't even know what the value of a solid role model actually is. And so I kind of wanted to touch on that. Um, you know, role models for us and what we talk about at Man Talks is, is extremely important. We, you actually spoke at the role model event and uh, it was role model and role models and fatherhood. Yep. And, you know, I, I kind of just wanted to, to get into that. And why do you think role models are important? I think you, you can avoid a lot of potential pitfalls that you might not <laughs> right, otherwise. Yeah. I think that's a big one. Yeah. I think uh, having someone to bounce ideas off of is, is another great one emotional support, someone who, uh, you know, is going to be there for you when you fall flat in your face, you yeah. know, who's going to help pick you up and say, all right, okay, so you, you failed that time. Now what, what mm -hmm. are you going to do now? And I think that that is really lacking for a lot of people. I mean, even myself, I haven't found a role model or a mentor. I still haven't found that person. Mm -hmm. but, but you're looking? I, I would be open to it. Yeah. Open. I'm not actively, you know, looking if the right person came around, then then yeah, I would I would I'd be open to that. Who, who, who did you lean on uh, for for business uh, other than your brother? Well, I, I mean, I learned a lot just from my old job, and I learned how to do the small business thing pretty effectively. This is you know, Float House is like this is my third business that we've opened, so it's kind of uh, we're getting better and better at that. Most a lot of self learning. Like again, when we did this thing, it was. Uh, it was, it, you know, we wrote a business plan, but there's so many things that you can't, you can't plan for and you just kind of learn and roll with it. And uh, a new problem comes up, you deal with that problem and it's a hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. You just keep working through them and eventually you're going to get there. You know, we didn't really have a, a, truthfully, we didn't have a lot of support when we opened Float House. We had a lot of resistance from our, our family because we had, uh, we were currently still with the family business and of course, my dad was just, I don't want to lose you guys. You guys are kind of the ones running the show right now. So he didn't really want us to do it. Well, um, actually, we have uh, Tim Hortons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great Canadian business. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Although I think it's owned by an American company now. Well, it's owned by a Brazilian investment bank called 3G, which is actually partially owned by Warren Buffett. So it's, it's, it's right. kind of, right. you know, it's, it's yeah. part of the whole thing now. Yeah. But um, like, I feel like that was like a reading rainbow wow. moment, right? There. Yeah. <laughs> Rainbow. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good slogan. We went from coffee to calm, and I still drink coffee. I still love coffee, 
But um, he has one in his head. Right now. Yeah. I do, I do. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, three, four cup a day kind of guy. This uh, float house is definitely more in line with who we are and our beliefs, mm-hmm. and, and especially that has evolved uh, a lot, especially since I've moved to BC. I think that's my whole life trajectory has changed quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think float house is definitely something that resonates a lot more with Mike and I. Yeah. So I think just really quick, you know, since you're in that space of looking for a mentor. Or not like actively looking, like you said, but but not having one and and kind of being curious about that. Um, I think a lot of men that probably resonates with a lot of guys that are listening. Um, so I would I would love to kind of like ask you like really what what would you look for? Like what would it take? Like you know that if that ideal person came along in in your experience, what would you want for a mentor? I think ideally the older version of myself in a way. <laughs> Cool. Um, I think that someone who uh, has similar values, has uh, similar or had similar ambitions, mm. not necessarily in the same fields. I, I, I think someone who had kind of walked that path before mm. in another way. Uh, I think that's what I would look for. Someone who can kind of guide me on my own journey, who's kind of been there before. Right. That said, it would be good to have a completely opposite perspective. And I, I do have you know some friends that that are the exact opposite perspective, which in a way kind of mentors me because it challenges what I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. So and I have somebody who's challenging and really is, you know, is that really the way it is or is that really what you think? And right. I think that's a really healthy thing to have too. So I, I think for me, it would be more of like that uh, father figure kind of person, you know, kind of a friend, someone you can lean on, someone who's there for you, someone who kind of actually cares about you. Right. How about that? Not just kind of cares about you. Who cares about you? Absolutely. You know, yeah. I think I think that's who I would look for. Something like that. Do you, do you consider yourself to be a role model for anybody else? At this point, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously your daughter. Obviously my daughter. Well, of course. That, that one's a given. Uh I don't know. I said that's a really hard one to no. say. I don't like to, to be like, oh, yeah, you should follow Andy's footsteps. I don't know if people should do that. I think that's, uh, <laughs> well, you know. I think that you are. Like, uh, you know, Absolutely. It, it, I, I try and put myself in the perspective of the people that um, might be listening to this. And, you know, guys, men like yourself that have kind of gone through the thick of it. And, you know, I think about um, myself and my journey and, and a couple of other people. And it's like. People that have gone through that kind of journey, they they are looked at as a mentor. And I, I bet you you could ask a bunch of your staff yeah. members, and, and they would totally Absolutely. see you as a role model. It's possible. And, and actually, when you when you spoke at our man talks, you you said that in order to be an effective role model mentor, you need to put your oxygen mask on first. And from what we can see here, you're you're putting your oxygen mask on first. You're you're taking care of yourself. You've obviously come from a lot of challenges, and, you, and you've. You've um, well, it's true. I mean, you, you said you've, you've you've developed a personal development kick. And yeah, so you you, 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 you you definitely need to uh, do your best to work on your own inner demons, mm-hmm. and everyone has those inner demons in one way or another. It's not that uh, they'll ever actually go away fully; they probably won't. But just uh, how to deal with them in in a, in a healthy way. So I think, uh, yeah, cool. that would be my answer to that. On a completely different note. Uh, just, just like right out of, out of left. Out of yeah, left go field. for it. Um, what do you think that it means to be a man in today's society? I know it's a loaded, it's just a loaded question, but yeah. And, and maybe just in like a couple of bullet points of, of, you know, what do you think it means to be a man and, and what are some of the challenges that, that men out there are facing and, and what can they do in order to kind of move through them? As you say, I think that, uh, 
for one, I like to speak for myself and my experience because that's yeah, pretty much all I can do. For me, it's breaking some of those stereotypes that are typically associated with being a man. You know, uh, men don't cry or whatever. And realizing that it's okay to be emotionally vulnerable as a man. I think a lot of times we put up a lot of armor in different ways to uh, essentially protect ourselves emotionally. You know, you see guys, again, I love working out, but you see guys who just muscle up and they get huge. Well, what are you really doing there? You know, yeah, it totally. feels like it's like a, it feels like they're building an armor or, or people will do it through a um, kind of a witty sense of humor sometimes, right. or they'll do it uh, through trying to always be the best person or trying to be, you know, flawless, flawless or perfect or yeah. always striving to do more and do better. And they're always, you know, there's these stereotypes of uh, what a man should be. And I think kind of questioning those and not to say that some of those things aren't valuable, but having a little uh, yin to the yang, I think, there is, uh, is really important in uh, being a man these days. And I think that balance is, is important and healthy. I think when you have some of these male stereotypes, uh, it actually does a great disservice to men. I think that uh, it actually disempowers us because mm. uh, we know a lot of it's a front. Right. So, totally. Yeah. I'm going to take a bit of a shift as well sure. um, and ask you, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> just on the, yeah. just on the spot. Wow. Man, it was the best piece of advice. Well, this would actually have to go back a long way, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I was actually, uh, in my earlier days, I was really big into football, American football, mm-hmm. and... I was at a football camp in West Virginia, University of West Virginia Mountaineers, and I was <laughs> 16 at the time, I think, or maybe a bit earlier, maybe 14. I don't remember. But anyway, so there was a guy who came on. The good thing about being in a sports background, one good thing is you get really good exposure to very motivated people. And he told this story uh, uh, about how you know he he was trying to become a starter on this football team and he was redshirted. So when you're redshirted in American football, it basically means you're, you don't lose eligibility, but you can't play. And you're kind of on that team, you're looked down upon a little bit. And he just kept talking about how every single day he would go and do the little things. He'd do the, the little things that would make him just a little bit better. He'd train a little bit harder. You know, he'd go to bed earlier. He wouldn't party so much. He'd go to bed and, and recover properly. He'd go to school. You know, he makes sure that he's, he's maintaining his grades so he can, he can actually play. And he told this whole story about how he went from being this guy who kind of got kicked around and, you know, not, not really, not kicked around literally, but just kind of not as respected right. to, to moving through that whole thing by kind of finding his own or the right path and becoming a full-time starter on that team. And and then he told, the, the, the moment of that kind of, uh, speech or story that kind of resonated when he looked back because there was his old group of what he called them was the maroon platoon buddies and they were these guys that were kind of the red shirts and yeah. nobody really thought they were going to amount to much and they were kind of there as tackling dummies in a yeah. sense and he looked back and these guys still had those kind of belief that you know that's where they're going to be and they can't change that yeah and and then when he actually got there they actually thought, well, you know what? If he did it, I could do it too. You know, so it kind of, I think that would be the best advice in, in, in the sense where it's just like always continue to to work towards your goals. Always strive to be 
better in some way. It's kind of like the way of the samurai in a sense. Always, and of course, you know, who's going to be that disciplined? You're going to, you want to go and have fun. You want to go have a hamburger some days. You want to have a beer. You want to, you know, go on vacation, relax and enjoy life. But I think being true to yourself in those, in, in, in really working towards those bigger goals that you want are the really, the big nuggets. So yeah, you can have a short term bit of satisfaction here by, you know, whatever thing that you're doing going on vacation, but it's those big goals that are really satisfying. Yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of stuck with me for a long time. That's very cool. Um, well, we do need to wrap it up. Okay. Um, but I just, I mean, I can't say thanks enough. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel one of the reasons why I asked you to come talk at, at man talks is because I really feel like you do embody, you know, sort of the modern day man, the, the guy that really gets it, um, has gone through the shit has, has sort of like waded through some of those really big challenges and has come out of the other side open and willing to make a difference in the world still and and open about how you actually did change and how you actually did move through those experiences. And so I just thank you, you know, so much for being here. And where can people find you? Well, you can find us, uh, this information on us on our website, www.floathouse.ca or on vancouverreal.tv. Also, my personal uh, Instagram and Twitter handles just at Andy Zaremba. And, uh, or you can email me and you can find that on the website too. So those are the easiest ways to get in touch come awesome. down for a float. or come down for a float and just be float. in the downtown yeah. core of Vancouver. It seems like every event I go to, I see familiar faces all the time now. So yeah. just go to an event and there's a good chance I'll be there and we can connect. So brilliant, brilliant. Or maybe you'll see him at the next man talks. There's a very good chance. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank all you. right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thanks.